0: You are listening to the Fresh Hell podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Do you love true crime, history, and mysterious happenings? Every week on The Cult of Domesticity a guest and i discuss a different historical happening, a true crime story, or whatever strikes our fancy. Join me Courtney every Thursday to hear some fascinating tales from some fascinating people wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Welcome to Fresh Hell. I'm Johanna in Vienna.
0: I'm Annie in Boston.
1: You just heard Courtney from Cult of Domesticity, and that podcast is very similar to ours when it comes to cover topics, everything out there that is interesting from Vlad Tepesh to the great train robbery she covers. Oh, nice. So please go over
0: and check it out. Definitely, definitely. What else is up? We've got some really nice reviews. Thank you very much for all the very kind reviews. We appreciate it. What else? Oh, my daffodils popped up last week, and then we had snow over the weekend, but it's now melted, so yeah. Typical New England.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the weather here has been a roller coaster too, so we have snow one day and sunny t-shirt weather the other. Uh, In German, we say April, April, der macht was er will. Oh, what does that mean? April, April, doing what he wants.
0: Okay. So... Today's episode is all about everybody's favorite mothy motherfucker. It's Mothman time.
1: If your favorite mothy motherfucker is Mothra, you'll be very disappointed today. And you will need a movie podcast. Message me. I know a couple of great ones.
0: Yeah, you know all the good ones. Today we're going to talk about the Mothman and the incredible tragedy of the Silver Bridge collapse. I'm sure there are people who lost loved ones that day who could maybe get a little upset that the bridge tragedy sometimes takes the backseat to the cryptid story.
1: Definitely, I'm sure of that. And if you're wondering what a cryptid is, uh, Merriam-Webster defines cryptozoology as the study of and search for animals and especially legendary animals, usually in order
0: to evaluate the possibility of their existence. Exactly. And the things they search for are the cryptids, which was a word intentionally created to replace the word previously more common use of the word monster. Uh, so Bigfoot is a cryptid. The Loch Ness Monster is a cryptid. My favorite, El Chifacabra is a cryptid. Do you have a favorite?
1: You know, I'm not that big into cryptozoology, at least not... As big as you are into cryptozoology, I always liked the Chupacabra too, just because, you know, Mexico. Mm -hmm. Is the Krampus a cryptid? Because then it would be that one, as it is our local cryptid. So,
0: do you know what? I actually looked that up. (laughs) Of <laughs> course you did and it seems like most people most people say no that krampus is in the same category of creature as santa claus and the easter bunny they're all in the same family he's just like that side of the family nobody invites to fun parties <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> then i'd have to see um the kraken i love the word He lives in the sea. Release the Kraken is just a great and sophisticated way to fill your enemies' hearts with fear. (laughs) And the Kraken has its own spiced rum. You know, Kraken rum? Yes. Which tastes good
0: and has a lovely looking bottle. So it's a win on all levels. Yes. And I think that the Kraken is the largest of the cryptids.
1: So you see the Mothman, the Chupacabra, the Yeti... The Kraken, you get the idea they are all cryptids, and the search for and study of them is cryptozoology. And today's story takes place in the USA, more specifically,
0: West Virginia. Mountain Mama. Sorry, <laughs> reflex. This is actually our second West Virginia story.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. The Greenbrier Ghost and uh, Erasmus Striblin Trout Shoe. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: You got it. <laughs> Love the name. Best name. Best name ever. It really, the Greenbrier ghost. Uh, So this story takes place in Point Pleasant, which is about three hours drive to the Northwest from Greenbrier, West Virginia, but that's with no traffic. I have no idea if it's usually a lot longer because there's no traffic anywhere right now on account of the COVID pandemic. So, Which is one of the few upsides I'd see. Yes, definitely. So our second West Virginia episode, I should probably try to do one from each state methodically, like take advantage of the fact that in the Second grade, I learned the states in alphabetical order, and I can remember that, but I can't remember the book I read last week. <laughs> my brain will, my brain will never put them in order like that. It's it's like eighty nine percent chaos, especially lately. What's new? What's happening? Any corrections that we need to make? Uh, nope, not that I know of this week. All right. So then let's get right into it and talk about the small town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, because you can actually find an inconceivable amount of worldwide sightings of a similar creature. But today we are talking very specifically about the Point Pleasant events and the Silver Bridge Collapse. As for Point Pleasant, historically there are a lot of important events that went down, from Native American massacres and curses to Civil War battles, but we're mostly going to focus on the last hundred years or so. So, according to the town's tourism website, quote, located in the confluence of the scenic Ohio and Canal rivers, Point Pleasant is a city in Mason County with a population of approximately 4,300. Point Pleasant not only provides a welcoming, family-friendly atmosphere, but also offers a unique combinations of histories and mystery-focused activities, end quote. So, history and mystery-focused activities are right up our collective alleys. Perfect. Yeah.
1: So if we go back to First World War, the, and that's a tongue twister, Marietta Manufacturing Company. Perfect. They, they were shipbuilders and they relocated from Marietta, Ohio across the river to Point Pleasant in 1915, following a terrible flood of the Ohio River, which destroyed the facility. And part of the reason they moved to West Virginia was that Point Pleasant was courting them pretty hard and the new site was on a higher ground, the facility provided vessels for the First World War and continued to build mine planting vessels and other smaller sized ships for both world wars. The facility employed 3,000 people at its height, but it would change hands and eventually close in 1970.
0: Chronologically speaking, the next big event we're going to talk about is the Silver Bridge, which was built in 1928 and connected Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and Gallipolis, Ohio, spanning the Ohio River. It was painted with an aluminum or aluminum colored paint (laughs) that made it shine like silver, and that is how it got its name, the Silver Bridge. There was a Second, identical bridge built called the High Carpenter Bridge, and that connected Newport, Ohio to St. Mary's, West Virginia. I can't remember if it was upstream or downstream, but it was the same bridge, but further, further along the stream.
1: Yeah, and if we look at war-driven economy, another big employer was the West Virginia Ordnance Works or WVOW. This was a United States Army ammunition manufacturing facility built and operated to support America's effort in the Second World War. Uh, It made TNT as well as other war ammunition and was located just north of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, still in Mason County. And this facility sat on 8,323 acres, which would be 33.68 square kilometers. kilometers for our European, no, actually for the rest of the world outside of the United States. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. And the $45 million plant, which employed 3,500 people at its peak, was only operated from 1942 to 1945. So, just until the war ended. And after the war, the landside once inhabited was used for a landfill, a wildlife management area, um, the Mason County Airport, and an industrial park, among other things. But locals refer to the area as TNT. And now I have ACDC in my head, and I'm not mad about it, because God, I love ACDC. Oh, so good. Not as much as the Beach
0: Boys, but I do love them. Yeah, we were really lucky. We were the first stop on their North American tour, and we got to see them So the first sighting of the creature we now refer to as the Mothman is generally accepted to be from November 12th, 1966. In a 2019 article for the West Virginia Explorer entitled, Did Legendary Mothman First Appear at Clendenin Cemetery, David Sibri writes, quote, On November 12, 1966, Kenneth Duncan of Blue Creek was digging a grave for Duncan's father-in-law, Homer Smith, in a cemetery at Clendenin with four other men when Duncan saw a human-like figure fly out of the surrounding woods and glide over their heads. Laboring with him that day were Robert Lovejoy of Allen, Michigan, formerly of Campbell's Creek, William Poole, also of Allen, Andrew Godby of Blue Creek, and Emile Gibson of Quincy, none of who apparently saw the creature. It was gliding through the trees and was in sight for about a minute, Duncan said later. The men discussed the incident with only a few friends, and it might have been forgotten had not the Scarberry and Millette sightings of Mothman led Duncan to report his encounter." End quote. Okay, A couple of things to discuss here. We have no idea if the son-in-law just happened to be an employee at the Clendenin Cemetery. And so he just happened to end up digging his father-in-law's grave because he'll eventually do that for everyone he knows until he dies or retires, whichever comes first, right? Or do we think it was just, it wouldn't just be a really small town where you dig your own grave as needed, right? It had to be that he was just an employee. Uh, I don't know why I'm asking you. (laughs) Is there such
1: a thing in the United States as dig your own grave?
0: I mean, there would have been at one time, but I doubt it (laughs) in 1966. Exactly. I mean, if you're somewhere
1: in the Wild West, 1867, okay. Right. But I think he was just
0: the designated person to dig graves in Clendennen. All right. I think you're right. (laughs) Okay. Also, just to be clear, this sighting is now generally accepted to be the first chronologically, but the people digging the grave didn't report it to anyone until the second sighting happened, and information about it appeared in the newspaper just four days later. And so, I'm going to read you that article from the Point Pleasant Register. Point Pleasant Register, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, Wednesday, November 16th, 1966. Quote, It was a bird, or something. It definitely wasn't a flying saucer." Two Point Pleasant couples said today that they encountered a man-sized bird-like creature in the TNT area about midnight last night. Sheriff's deputies and city police went to the scene about 2 o'clock this morning, but were unable to spot anything. But the two young men telling their story this morning were dead serious and asserted that they hadn't been drinking. Steve Millette of Jackson Avenue and Roger Scarberry of 30th Street describes the thing as being about 6 or 7 feet tall, having a wingspan of 10 feet and red eyes about 2 inches in diameter and 6 inches apart. It was like a man with wings, Millette said. It wasn't like anything you'd see on TV or in a monster movie. The men and their wives were in Scarberry's car between 11.30pm and midnight when they spotted the creature near the old power plant adjacent to the old National Guard armory buildings. The creature was seen standing on three occasions and was described as being extremely fast, quote, it flew about 100 miles an hour, end quote, in flight, but was a clumsy runner. <laughs> Same. Deputy Millard Halstead said he had seen dust in the vicinity of a coal field, but, quote, it could have been caused by a bird, he said. I'm a hard guy to scare, Scarberry said, but last night, I was for getting out of there. They did just that, but the thing followed them. They said it was hovering around the car, apparently gliding, until they reached the National Guard armory on Route 62. Quote, we went downtown, turned around, went back, and there it was again, Millette said. It seemed to be waiting on us. End quote. He said the light gray-like creature then scurried through a field. It had also flown across the top of the car. It was apparently afraid of light, Millette reasoned, and maybe it thought it was scaring us off. The young men said they saw the creature's eyes, which glowed red, only when their lights shined on it, and it seemed to want to get away from the lights. They said it looked like a man with wings, but that the head was not an outstanding characteristic. Both were slightly pale and tired from lack of sleep during the night following their harrowing experience. They speculated that the thing was living in the vacant power plant, possibly in one of the huge boilers. There are pigeons in all the other buildings, Millette said. (laughs) but not in that one. If I had seen it while by myself, I wouldn't have said anything, Scarberry commented. But there were four of us who saw it. They said it didn't resemble a bat in any way, but maybe what you would visualize as an angel. The last time they saw it was near the gate to a farm on Route 62. They heard a sound like wings flapping, and they said the bird rose straight up like a helicopter. Quote, this doesn't have an explanation to it, Millette said. It was an animal, but nothing like I've ever seen before. End quote. Are they going back to look for the creature? Yes, Millette said. This afternoon, and again tonight... Today, Scarberry said, but tonight, I don't know. End quote. Okay, so my favorite thing was there were pigeons in the other buildings, but not in that one. Because I think that's a solid piece of deductive work there. Yeah, because I think they assume that he eats all the pigeons. Yeah, it makes sense. Or scares them off. Also, that would have been, I don't know what they saw, but that really, that would have been terrifying, I think. You know
1: what irks me when they say that the the eyes were red, but only when the light shined on them? Duh. That's what happens. If you shine light on eyes, they <laughs> appear red. Yeah. Ever saw a deer in the headlight? <laughs> they have red eyes.
0: Half of my photos. So here's the thing, kids. Back in the day, Johanna and I used to take cameras with something called film. <laughs> And uh, way back in the day, you'd have to get separate flash cube to attach it to your camera. And then you'd drop it off and you'd wait. And you'd get your pictures back. And in every picture, everyone's eyes... Super expensive. Oh, yeah. So expensive. It was a real luxury to get doubles in a size bigger than a 3x5. Like, you and a friend might split it. And then everyone's eyes were red. And there wasn't a goddamn thing anybody could do about it. <laughs> So times have changed. But yeah, the car was a 57 Chevy. I think the TNT area was an area that seems to have been known as like a lover's lane. I'm guessing there was no shortage of jokes about dynamite during the (laughs) usual necking and petting that happened. I'm not saying that's what these couples were doing. They saw something.
1: I love the beginning of the article where they say, was it a bird? Was it a plane? (laughs) No, it was Superman or Mothman. So this time four people saw it and reported it, which, but it it's better, four people seeing something and one guy saying he wouldn't even have reported it if the others wouldn't have seen it. Funnily enough, best we can figure is if you believe John Keel's book, the papers came up with the term Mothman as a spin-off from a Batman TV character. Yeah. Which I think makes no sense. Why they started calling him Mothman if he looked more like a Birdman or Owlman or Angelman.
0: That's the part about this. (laughs) This story that you think makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a moth has a very specific look to it over the next few days, eight more people would report similar sightings in the area. But that wasn't the only thing that people reported. There were reports of lights in the sky as well. Some witnesses, like Connie Carpenter, suffered from Klieg conjunctivitis after their encounter with the creature. After her Mothman sighting one morning on her way to work at Tiny's Diner, she saw standing by a golf course in Mason, West Virginia, what she described as being a gray thing that lifted straight up like a helicopter and then flew straight at her, staring at her with glowing red eyes that she couldn't look away from. It veered away at the last minute, and uh, the part that gives me the heebie-jeebies is she's one of the few people who has seen, allegedly, the face of the Mothman, and she has never spoken of it. She says it's too terrifying to think about or talk about or remember, so I don't like that. Mm -mm. As I mentioned before, she allegedly also suffered from a type of conjunctivitis. It's usually caused by UV burns. It can happen if you look at a Klieg light, usually used in films for too long. So where you get the name? It's also pretty common, I guess, with arc welders if they are careful with their eye protection. So her eyes were red and swollen and weepy for two weeks. And I think this is included in the Mothman prophecy.
1: If there's two things that we don't like, it's when they linger... And Mothman face
0: anytime somebody says they've seen something that they just can't even, yeah, it really bothers me, yeah, because mm-hmm. i don't think I don't think this woman was I don't think any of these people were lying is the interesting thing, so, yeah. I'm guessing that you are not so much a believer in most of this.
1: <laughs> I only believe in the Kraken, so Mothman prophecy, yeah, that's where the prophecy aspect of the Mothman prophecy starts to come in, yeah. I'm not keen on prophecies unless it's the one in Harry Potter. But I'll tell you about the Mothman prophecy anyway. So essentially there wasn't just these strange sightings of a huge flying man-like creature with red eyes. But other events were reported like strange lights in the sky, UFOs, people reporting terrible nightmares, unexplained animal stuff we won't get into detail about because, you know, it's us. Yep. Uh, there was a lot happening from a paranormal standpoint, and that's where John Keel, author of the book The Mothman Prophecies, came in, planning to write a book about UFO phenomena. And it's important to note that when Keel got to Point Pleasant, he worked closely with local reporter Mary Heyer. Uh, there's an article for IGN by Samuel Claiborne, who interviews Lauren Coleman, cryptozoologist and author of several books about the paranormal, including his own, about the Mothman. And the following is from that article. Quote, about a month after the initial sightings, John Keel got an assignment to go there as a news reporter, explains Coleman. He sort of showed up, had a very low kind of profile. John was on a contract to write a book about UFOs, end quote. As Keel began to talk to people and gather information, the journalist found himself getting more deeply involved in the events to the extent that, quote, there were entities that communicated with John by phone, end quote. Coleman explains that as Keel analyzed the events, he found Point Pleasant to be, quote, a vortex of phenomena and couldn't really tell one from the other. It was a scary situation for John. End quote. Whatever one thinks of the validity of Keel's claims, there's no arguing the horror of what had happened next. Keel had begun to be given, quote unquote, prophecies by the entities he was dealing with in Point Pleasant. One in particular that said that, quote, when President Johnson turned on the Christmas lights at the White House, the whole Northeast was going to go into a blackout, end quote. However, by that point, Coleman says that Keel had, quote, started to get fooled by the phenomena, end quote. Quote. On December 15th, John Keel is in his apartment in Manhattan, Coleman continues, waiting for the blackout with his bottled water and his batteries, and nothing happens. About six minutes later, on the TV set across the bottom, quote, bridge collapses across Ohio River, end quote, and he
0: freaks out, end quote. All right, that article is a good one.
1: We're coming back to the bridge collapse, but of course many of you will recognize the book as being the original source for the film starring Richard Gere and Laura Linney. When the film was made, a lot of the locals were upset that the movie was not filmed in Point Pleasant. Who could have used, you know, the boost to their economy? Who couldn't? It was actually shot in a town in Pennsylvania, both because it was a large enough town to support the needs of the, you know, cast and crew, but also the production meant that they had to shut down an actual bridge for two months for filming, and that would have been impossible to do in Point Pleasant without devastating the local economy. So I don't think it was such a loss for Point Pleasant, to be honest.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I, you know, I kept trying to figure out the best way to explain the facts of the case in relation to the film, and... The best I can come up with, although to be fair, it has been a long time since I've seen the film. But it's like that game in America, we call it Telephone, where you whisper something to someone. If you've got a group of people, then they whisper it to the next person, and they whisper it to the next person, and on and on. Mm,
1: yeah, it's called Stille Post in German. What is it called there? Stille Post.
0: Silent Mail. Silent Mail. Silent Mail. Nice. Let us know what it's called in your country, um, because it's usually very funny, right? And completely different. And a lot of times you play it in school, because it's a good way to teach kids about how rumors get spread, right? But it's also it's also how things that are based on true, true events, you know, like, some of it is true, and some has been unintentionally misunderstood. And then it's a film. So it's not a documentary. Uh, so other aspects are going to be fictionalized for dramatic cinematic effect. I saw the movie when it first came out, which honestly now feels like a lifetime ago. And I just remember Richard Gere getting a lot of creepy phone calls, just always on the phone. And was there a Men in Black issue? I don't, I I really, we meant to go back and watch it, but it just didn't happen this week. Uh, Do you remember it? it? It's pretty much Richard Gere on the phone for me.
1: I really don't remember that movie too well, I only saw it once, and that was back in the day, like you, when it came out. Yeah. I'd say let's discuss the terrible tragedy of the Silver Bridge collapse, and then we'll get into our theories.
0: Definitely.
1: So, suspension bridges go way back, but the Silver Bridge was constructed in 1928, during a time when suspension bridges were being built all over the US of A. And the Silver Bridge is the newest bridge spanning the Ohio River and connecting Point Pleasant and Gala Police, Ohio. So, today bridge cables are spun from many individual wires like, um, for example, the Golden Gate Bridge, but the cables on the silver bridge were long length of steel with holes drilled out at the end, and these are called eye bars So a pin is put through the holes to link one part of the chain to the next, and they work kind of like a bicycle chain. Lots of bridges constructed at this time used them, including the Three Sisters in Pittsburgh, which crossed the Allegheny River. These bridges were built in the same year and also used eye bars but the difference was they had layered redundancies so if one eyebar failed the whole bridge wouldn't fail so we'll post photos and you're gonna understand
0: yeah and i think the sisters were also made of a stronger steel which would make sense because it's pittsburgh and nobody knows steel better than pittsburgh i think i think i read somewhere once that pittsburgh uh, pennsylvania has more bridges in it than venice italy
1: really yeah i had no idea also does that make pittsburgh the venice of the united states Oh. Is Pittsburgh one of the Venice of the North? Is Pittsburgh
0: the Venice? Is Pittsburgh one of the unfound Venices of the North? It might be. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? I'm gonna have to check. Venice of the North. Yes, I'm pretty sure that's true. I could be just lying completely about that. My brain is full of weird facts. So, all right. Uh, I'm sure our listeners are gonna let us know <laughs> if I'm right or wrong and how we mispronounced all the ri- rivers are gonna be our downfall. All right, now to the saddest
1: part of the story. Okay, I'd say let's talk about a few of the things that contributed to the collapse of the bridge first. Yeah. So the first was design loads. In 1928, the most common family car was the Ford Model T, which weighed 1,500 pounds, which is 680 kilograms. And the maximum allowed truck weight was 9 tons. Just 39 years later, when the bridge collapsed, a typical family car weighed about 4,000 pounds, so that's 1,800 kilograms, and the large truck limit was 27 tons. And rather than intermittent traffic, lights had been added to either side of the bridge and traffic jams on the bridge were very common. Which meant a sustained weight the bridge was never, ever designed for, and these issues were a main part of the reason for the horrific tragedy that would occur in this small town, when suddenly, on December 15th, 1967 just before sunset, during rush hour and holiday traffic, Ibar 330 failed on the Ohio side. And we have a great video we'll link to from PBS Nova that explains how and why the bridge failed with the reconstruction, but we know from the few survivors and witnesses that the bridge, which was known to move, suddenly started to move quickly quite violently. One woman, Charlene Wood, she was pregnant and had visited her parents in Point Pleasant before heading home, just across the bridge in um, Galapolis, and her father, a riverboat captain, had told her how boats hit bridges, and the moment this different shaking started she thought, that's what happened, so she put her car in reverse and backed up. Her car stalled once, but she got it moving again and backed up until she suddenly saw the bridge in front of her collapse. The Ohio side seemed to fall straight down but the side closer to Point Pleasant twisted as it fell, which I can't even imagine. She survived.
0: Yeah, she was like right on the edge. Unbelievable. So according to reports, there were 37 vehicles on the bridge. Some fell the 20 to 30 feet to the ground below. 31 fell into the water. Some were able to get out of their cars and into the freezing water, where they drowned or died of hypothermia. Others would end up with the bridge crushing their car. Forty-six people died. Nine others were seriously injured but would recover. Two bodies were never found. The Army Corps of Engineers pulled the cars and the bridge parts out of the river as best they could and reassembled them in a big field, and that's when they found the snapped eye bar The WestVirginiaCulture.org website has an article by Sandra Grant from the time of the collapse, and I'm going to read to you from that article, which um, I've just edited a little bit for brevity and privacy, and the full link of this will, of course, be in our sources. Point Pleasant, quote, I expected to die, said Bill Needham, a 27-year-old truck driver from Kernersville, North Carolina. A patient in Pleasant Valley Hospital here with a broken back, Needham thinks his truck-driving partner is dead. He was in the sleeping berth in the rear of the cab, Needham said from his hospital bed, and I think he had strapped himself in. He had no chance. The cab went all the way to the bottom. Needham said he was still pinned inside the cab when it went under the water, and he was running out of breath when I noticed a little crack in the window and finally forced it down. I managed to grab a box and hang on. Howard Boggs, 24, of Gallipoli, Ohio, also a patient in the same hospital with cuts and bruises, fears he has lost his wife, Marjorie, and seventeen-month-old daughter in the plunge. Boggs said he and his small family were returning to their home after visiting relatives in West Virginia when they became stalled in the traffic on the bridge. My wife noticed the bridge was quivering, he related, tearfully, and asked what we would do if this thing broke. And then suddenly, it broke, and we went down. Boggs said he and his wife had just finished buying Christmas presents for their little girl. Bill Edmondson, a 38-year-old Hennis Freight Lines driver from North Carolina, said he apparently also lost his partner to the water. The thing went down so fast, I don't know how I got out of the cab, recalled Edmondson, who was admitted to the same hospital with a broken right arm and head cuts. I was starting down the Ohio side of the bridge when it suddenly started falling sideways. I didn't hear any noise or anything. When I got in the water, I got hold of a seat that was all that kept me up until they pulled me out. After he surfaced, Edmondson said he could only see one other person swimming in the water. Other survivors at this small, overworked hospital were either too dazed to recall what happened or under heavy sedation. One man, Frank Wamsley of Point Pleasant, just shook his head when he approached for comment another of the injured who was pulled from the water by a passing towboat was paul scott of ohio he likewise had no comment End quote.
1: so there are articles out there that talk to survivors and it's it's just very sad almost everyone in counties on both sides knew someone on the bridge that day many of them will never cross a bridge they have bad anxiety You know, every Christmas season, they get anxiety.
0: Yeah, all very normal PTSD trauma responses. And so many of us know what that's like. And you just feel so badly for them. It's awful.
1: Yeah, definitely. So the sister bridge, the High Carpenter Bridge, had to be closed immediately. And eventually, the NTSB determined that there was no way to inspect the bridge for similar structural weakness. So in the end, it was torn down and a ferry was used to replace the old bridge until a new bridge could be constructed. The Silver Memorial Bridge between Gallipolis, Ohio, and Henderson, West Virginia, over the Ohio River, was rebuilt in 1969. And this disaster led to legislation in the US to ensure that all the bridges were regularly inspected and maintained, which, yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah, the problem is that <laughs> aging bridges are still such a serious problem, at least here in the States they are. Pretty much everywhere, I think. If you just Google bridge deaths, if you have a loved one who really hates bridges as much as I do, uh, it's a reasonable fear.
1: I'm afraid of heights, but I never actually worry while walking or driving over a bridge, you know, as long as it's not like a super flimsy
0: old wooden bridge that moves with every step. Yeah, yeah. Rope bridges are out. No rope bridges. No clear bridges.
1: Yeah, but about bridges collapsing, so... We had something similar here in Vienna on 1st of August 1976, the 2nd Reichsbrücke in Vienna that crosses the Danube, and it connects the 2nd District and the 22nd District. It collapsed. The 2nd Reichsbrücke had been built in 1936-37, something like this, and the thing was that in 1975 they started to inspect the bridge. You know, they wanted to see everything that needed to be fixed and changed, because obviously the same in 1975, there were a whole lot of more cars on that bridge than in 1937, Sure. and the cars. Were were heavier. And then on 1st of August 1976, the whole bridge collapsed. All of the bridge that was over the river. Thank God it happened around 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning and there were only like two cars, one public transportation bus and I think a small transporter on the bridge. It was a total of five people. That's what I remember. Uh, the two cars that was, um, it was a car that had broken down and like, how do you call that? That give you like road road assistance.
0: Yeah, like a AAA. Yeah,
1: something like this. So they were on the part of the bridge that didn't collapse, so they were not over the water. Okay. The bus driver he went down. He survived because the bus didn't sink, and the young man who was driving the transporter he died.
0: Oh, it's awful.
1: But there would have been so many more fatalities if it would have happened during the day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Could have been so much worse. I post photos of the collapsed bridge, and I remember I saw a documentary about it one day, and people living nearby said it was the most horrible but also the most bizarre thing. You know, they went to bed at night and the bridge still there, and then the next morning it's all just gone. Yeah. It's a scary
0: thought. It really is. It really is, and it's, it's so sad. I don't love bridges. I hate, you know, like, rope bridges are out, clear bridges are out. I don't like ledges. Hmm. I don't like anything without a secure balcony. (laughs) But I still have to drive over bridges all the time in order to go home and see my family. I have to cross a pretty stressful bridge. But yeah, I wish I could say I trusted our American bridges, but not so much. The sad thing is, even with the bridge disaster at Point Pleasant, you know, even if they had already been doing really rigorous, serious inspections weekly, the eye bar that broke, the crack was in a place that even if they'd been inspecting everything, they'd never have found it, which is why they had to tear that sister bridge down, because the only way to check would have been to actually, like, remove the pin and separate the eye bars, which would have caused the bridge to collapse. Anyhow, so, okay, Mothman, if you're wondering why we're talking about an incredibly sad disaster on a Mothman episode, it's because right after the Silver Bridge fell, the Mothman sightings seem to have died down quite a bit. Some people think that he was there to warn people that the bridge was going to collapse, that maybe he was an angel warning people. But listen, I have to say, and I know this is a controversial opinion, I know there are a lot of moth What are Mothman fans called? I should have looked this up. Mothheads? Feels wrong. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) There's all those, all you Mothheads out there. But if Mothman was supposed to be warning of an impending bridge disaster, he was really crap at his job, like really rubbish. Thank you. Why wouldn't you do spooky things on the bridge? Like, yes, connect yourself somehow to... The bridge, if that was your goal. Why would you
1: say there's gonna be a blackout? Why not say, hey, the bridge is gonna collapse? Why do you have
0: to be so... Ah, I hate it. It doesn't mean... It's like he went to a bad psychic with the whole... Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird. I don't... Yeah. I don't think he was an angel of either side, a good angel or a bad angel, because either way, there's still no connection to the bridge. It just doesn't make sense. It felt like a coincidence. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, he was expecting something, some blackout to happen, and then this happens. But shit is going down all the time, somewhere.
0: Yes, exactly. All the time. So you could have said it was anything. You know, it's... I don't know. There are other theories. So let's look at some of those, shall we? Is
1: Mothman an alien?
0: Ugh, I hope not. You went (laughs) straight to the scariest possibility for me. (laughs) Just to get it over with.
1: Yeah. That's so the funny. argument for it being an alien is that it would explain why it looked like a man with no head. Some described it as having eyes in the chest area. Ugh. It wasn't a man or at least not a homo sapien. Yeah. And it would also explain why some of the Mothman witnesses, like, for example, poor Mrs. Carpenter also reported like a disturbing incident and she refused to talk about that. And many think she refused to talk about what are men in black.
0: Yeah. That's true. I hope it wasn't because I have also read things that said that after Connie had her bad experience and then she had the conjunctivitis, she also was visited by, I guess, what's best described as men in black. But uh, I don't know. I hope it wasn't aliens because if it was, then what? It crashed here and just had to wait to get picked up by its dad or something? (laughs) I mean, I feel like there would have been something found, right? Yeah, unless the men in black covered it up. Oh, this whole aspect of things I found creepy. But there's just also not enough evidence to make me think that that's what it is, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't see enough evidence for UFOs. I don't know why I'm asking you if you agree with me. I know you agree with me because you don't believe in them. You know I don't agree with you. All right. Is the Mothman a Thunderbird? So the Thunderbird is part of Native American lore, and there are slightly different interpretations for what it represents, and that varies tribe by tribe. But it would fit in in terms of the absolutely massive wingspan. The only reason I don't think it was a Thunderbird is why would it just appear to a bunch of white people? It feels like an odd move for a mythical Native American creature. My personal belief in the existence of the Thunderbird itself, I wonder if ancient peoples maybe did have a Thunderbird. Was that their name for some now extinct, you know, bigger form of the giant condor or something? Mm. Maybe there even is a magical Thunderbird. I'm, I am open to the possibility. I just don't think that it fits the sightings that we have here.
1: I would like to note that there were also reports of a Chernobyl mothman, you know, another sign of impending disaster. But I think that this story was all an internet hoax. And it also reminds me that I really want to talk about
0: Chernobyl soon. Yes, definitely.
1: So there's another theory that Mothman is a mutant. You remember the TNT area? So in 1979, there were apparently a couple of men fishing in the area that had become a wildlife reserve, as I said before, and they noticed some red water seeping up from the ground into the river. And sure enough, they found TNT, DNT, and other highly toxic chemicals seeping into the local waterway.
0: Yeah, you guessed it. That area is a Superfund site. On September 8th, 1983, it was listed on the National Priorities List, making it eligible for cleanup as part of the Superfund program. The site was West Virginia's top priority cleanup site and was amongst the national top 10 most polluted sites. So this is basically when they started to look at all the places that, you know, military installations Mm -hmm. had buried um, radioactive material... And so they created a super fund to try to fix up all of these, like, the most toxic dump areas, I guess, in the country is how you would say it. So a super fund site sounds super fun, like it sounds like a good thing, but it's actually, it's very bad. So, was it a mutant owl or a sandhill crane? I mean, both of those have been described as very logical possibilities of sightings. I think the sandhill crane especially has a very big wingspan and red right around the eyes. Is there a chance that it mutated into a monster and started eating all of the pigeons um, that lived in its <laughs> core, reactor core, wherever <laughs> it was? All those missing pigeons... That only happens in movies, right? I hope so. I really hope so,
1: because otherwise we would be fucked. We would. Imagine all the toxic waste. All the toxic
0: waste. It's gonna create a kraken, though.
1: That would be cool.
0: I mean, but you'd have to have it as something kraken-like in the waterway. Gonna keep the kraken in my bathtub. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay, how about just an owl, not mutant owl, just an owl or just a sandhill crane? You know, there are bared owls in the area and uh, unconfirmed sightings of sandhill cranes. It could be a crane that had a problem with its migration and ended up somewhere where it's not supposed to be.
0: Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure it was an owl. I was once walking to my friend Mary's house to watch movies and on my way, an owl swooped down like right in front of me going for something. It wasn't paying attention to me. I think it grabbed something I couldn't see and took off in the night like a little mouse. I legitimately thought a ghost had just like Come at me uh, until my 11 year old self calmed down. But I was still so freaked out that uh, I got to her house and we went to start watching Lost Boys, which had just come out on VHS. I was like 11, and I was still so scared that I went home. And the moral of that story is that owls are scary if you don't know it's an owl. <laughs> but I would not have mistaken it for a huge man with no discernible head and an 11 foot wingspan. Yeah, true enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought it was a small, angry ghost in hindsight. It was definitely <laughs> an owl.
1: <laughs> yeah, owls
0: can be really scary, that's true.
1: Yeah. And the owls are not what they seem, you know?
0: Yeah. A lot <laughs> of people don't trust owls. And then I sent you that photo of a harpy eagle. Cause the first time I saw that photo, my first thought was oh, buckbeak. And then <laughs> Mothman. But again, that And we'll post a picture of this thing. But it lives. It's like a tropical... Would you have ever thought that bird was a... Does that look like a tropical bird to you? No. It's a tropical Central and South American bird. So there's no way that that bird is up in that area in December when it's so cold.
1: Listen, after watching Tiger King, I now realized that you Americans or people of the United States of America have tropical animals that are not supposed to be there In your homes. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Hear me out. Maybe some explorer kind of, I don't know, harpy eagle king had one of them and they escaped. I would buy
0: that. I would maybe buy that. Yeah. I was really surprised when I was in Costa Rica. We went to a jaguar rehabilitation um, center, and they didn't have any jaguars there at the time. But they had a ton of parrots and lizards and uh, snakes and all kinds of things that people in America consider house pets, regularly house pets, and can get legally. And there, it's, it's illegal. You can't have any kind of... No parrots as pets. No, it's like wild animals have to stay wild. And it is a little yeah. bit eye-opening.
1: I mean, there are some parrots like that are bred here or like lizards mm-hmm. or snake. And you can have them as a pet. But a tiger, a lion. Yeah, no. A liger. A liger. A liger.
0: the <laughs> liger. They had one. I know.
1: My theory is it was kind of a bird. Yeah. And they got scared because it was a bird that they've never seen before. It was hairy eagle swooping <laughs> down, trying to, you know, get a... Dinner in before making his way back to Central America. It could be.
0: It could be. Uh, I don't know, is my answer. I'd really like to say I think it was the harpy owl or a crane. If there's a reasonable explanation for it, then yes, I think 100% that's what it is. I agree with you. I'm going to go with something paranormal. It makes me a little uneasy. There were just so many witnesses, and there, there's avenues of Mothman-like creatures that I had to not fall down any of those rabbit holes. But I don't know. My answer is I don't know. So sorry to end with an I don't know. But I think that wraps up the story of the Mothman and the Silver Bridge Collapse. And if you're interested in this, you can check our sources. There's also a Mothman wiki. I sent the link to Johanna, and she was like, back away. Don't you dare. Don't go down that hole because she knows me. And it's, yeah. There's a lot. So we'll post all of that. All those links.
1: Yeah. As always, you'll find all of our sources on our website, uh, freshhellpodcast.com.
0: Yeah. And in our Facebook group where we will post photos there as well. And is it time for something good this week?
1: Uh, yeah. What's what's my something good this week? We found a piece of land that we want to buy. I don't want to go in all the details how buying a piece of land here differs from buying a piece of land in the States. I explained it to Annie already, what we have to do. (laughs) Basically, it's a piece of land that belongs to the village or the town or the city. If you don't buy private land, which we don't want to do, and you have to, you know, I don't know. How would you explain it? I have to write like a letter telling them we want to buy this piece of land. And now we have to wait until all this blows over and the town council can meet again and decide that they're going to sell us the land, which should be no problem. And yeah, that's something good. We found a piece of land. It's lovely. It's quiet. It's so funny because for us, it's like, what did I tell you? 0.3 or 0.4 acres. And for us here, that's a big piece of land for a house. That's a big piece of land for a house. In the
0: States, I always see it's like two acres and three acres. You don't get that here. It just depends where you are. Yeah. Yeah. And the country is so much bigger. I mean...
1: Yeah, you have a lot of land. We have a lot of mountains, and that makes our country even smaller. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I'm super excited for you. So, what's your something good? My something good this week is... I finally have something good. It's been a month we're expecting a new family member at the end of May. A puppy is going to be joining our household. We are very excited. Paul and I have been wanting just one puppy. All of our previous dogs, uh, we've had the occasional puppy, but we've never raised one together. So... Yeah, super excited. And I'm going to create a puppy watch 2020 mega thread in the Facebook group. (laughs) By the time you hear this, it will have already been created. So you will be able to see photos of all the puppies. There are 15 puppies in the litter and we're going to choose ours virtually on this coming Sunday. So I don't know how we're going to choose. They are all so cute and they're changing week by week. It's I can't stand it. They're getting so big. We don't even have a preference for color or gender to help us narrow it down. So come join the Facebook group. Tell me which puppy is your favorite. Also very open to name suggestions. It's kind of the only happy thing in our lives right now. It's it's just, it's hard times. And so I just thought that we'd share some of that joy with all of you. So come join the Puppy Watch. You know exactly that my name suggestions will be
1: Jürgen, Fritz, <laughs> or Erasmus. Tribling Troutshu. I don't want to name him after a murderer, though. But it's such a great name! Imagine all the 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 whole world will be open to him. He could be president. <laughs> Erasmus. Stribling yeah. Trout. This is it's our dog. Great name. Erasmus. He's gonna accept it
0: to all the good Ivy League schools with that name. <laughs> I think we need to get. Uh, well, we need to figure out some good German names just in case. Because Fritz. Fritz. What about Wolfgang?
1: But well, first of all, you're pronouncing it
0: wrong, Wolfgang. So I can't listen to you for Wolf- the next ten Wolf. years
1: pronouncing your
0: dog's name wrong,
1: Wolfgang.
0: But then we call him Wolfgang. Wolfie. Isn't Wolf? Isn't Wolfie the Terminator too? No, Wolfie.
1: It's Wolfgang or
0: Wolfgang. It's not Wolfie. What is it? Wolfgang, Wolfal, Wolfie. No. Whoa. it's wo, not woo. Been pronouncing it wrong for forty years. <laughs> What's happening? Oh no. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart.
1: Wolfal. Yeah. That's what he was called, by the way, not Wolfie. Was what Wolf? he Wolfal. That not sounds Wolf-el. like
0: Wilful. <laughs> like if you say it. Yeah, that's because I can pronounce it wrong. <laughs> yeah, but if you think I say it badly, imagine how the rest of the world here that meets him is going to pronounce his name. <laughs> if it's a he. And maybe, it's a, maybe it'll be a lady dog. Ooh, it's a lady. <laughs> <laughs> anyway.
1: Please join our Facebook group. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter if you want to.
0: If you have just the tiniest, tiniest moment of um free time, if you could leave us a really quick review, if you enjoyed this episode, we would be really, really, I can't tell you how grateful we would be. It means so much. Tell your friends about us and tell your dogs we said hi. Yes, please. All your pets, cuddle them, hug them. Even the ones that are really sad, you're home. <laughs> Plotting your demise. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure everyone's pets are very happy that you're home. Yeah, until next week, if you are going through hell, keep going. Cheers. Bye. Forty-six lives were lost when the Silver Bridge collapsed on December 15, 1967. Forty-four bodies were recovered. These are the names of those whose bodies were recovered. Apologies for any mispronunciations. Albert A. Adler Jr. J. O. Bennett Leo Blackman Christy Boggs Margaret Boggs Hilda Bias Kimberly Bias Melvin Cantrell Thomas A. Cantrell Donna Jean Casey, Cecil Counts, Horace Kermines, Harold Cundiff, Alonzo Luther Darst, Alma Duff, James Hawkins, Bobby L. Head, Forrest Raymond Higley, Alva B. Lane, Thomas Bus Howard Lee, G. H. Mabe, Darlene Mayers, Gerald McManus, James Richard Maxwell, James F. Meadows, Timothy Meadows, Frederick D. Miller, Ronnie G. Moore, Nora Isabel Nibbert, Darius E. Northup, James O. Pullen, Leo Doc Sanders, Ronald Sims, Charles T. Smith, Oma May Smith, Maxine Sturgeon, Denzil Taylor, Glenna May Taylor, Robert Eugene Tao, Victor William Turner. Marvin Wamsley, Lillian Eleanor Wedge, Paul D. Wedge, James Alfred White, and the two bodies who were never recovered were Kathy Bias and Maxine Turner. Our sympathy to all their family and friends.